Welcome to Sparks of History. We are extremely honored and pleased to have with us today Rabbi David Gottlieb. Uh, Rabbi Gottlieb is the co-founder and Rav of Ganei Ha'elah, a new community located in Ramat Shemesh, Israel. Previously, Rabbi Gottlieb served as the rabbi of Congregation Shomri and Muna in Baltimore, Maryland. Additionally, Rabbi Gottlieb teaches at Yeshiva Haaretzion in the Gush Etzion area. And Rabbi Gottlieb is also the managing director of the Salash organization, which we will be hearing about today. Thank you, Rabbi Gottlieb, for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Thank you for having me. Just to get started, what exactly is Salash and how did it get started? Okay, thank you so much. Uh, it's a big question, but I'll try to uh, boil it down to its essential components. Salash, which in English means nothing, <laughs> it's just the translation of the uh, or the phonetic, uh, you know, reproduction of the Hebrew word tzadik lamid shin, which is an abbreviation for tzava l'shem shamayim, and kishmo kainhu. The whole essence of the organization primarily is to provide religious and emotional support uh, to the soldiers uh, and their families. And we are now in our 11th year. Our founder is a very, my partner, very, very special, holy Jew named Rev. Peretz Einhorn. And he himself had been a fighter when he was younger in the army. At the time, he was a Rebbe in a pre-army machina. And he saw what he felt was a real gap and a need for extra religious support for the soldiers. And he founded it as a startup, like all good startups, by himself, uh, on the side, on the weekends, Slowly but surely, it continued to grow. Uh, the programs grew, the budget grew, the staff grew, slowly but surely. And two and a half years ago, he approached me to become his partner. Uh, and I'm now in my third year working together with him, running the organization. And Baruch Hashem, we have seen a lot of growth and a lot of bracha. Obviously, a lot of challenges over the last three months. Uh, but we're very, very proud about the contribution we're making. And... and um... What are the activities, just the general activities of, of Salash? What support do you provide? That's a great question. Uh, I, I wish the answer would be as short as your question was. Maybe that's a da inherent danger of interviewing a rabbi, but in this case, actually, there is a lot to say. Um, so first of all, I have to break it down into pre-war, probably post-war until Mashiach comes, and then during the war. So if you want to follow up about what we're doing during the war, I'm happy to speak. But for now, I'll just talk about what we had been doing uh, before the war and what we will, Mir Tashem, be coming back to, barring uh, Mashiach, as long as there's a need for an army, uh, even after the war. So that is basically into two components. The predominant component is how we help the soldiers. And there are numerous programs that we have in which we visit with soldiers on bases, once a week on Sundays, we have a program where the army itself will bring anywhere from 100 to 200 soldiers to a central location. It's a shul in Tel Aviv where we run an entire morning of learning programming for them. But most of our work is done visiting the soldiers where they are on the bases. And in advance of their drafting, we visit all the yeshivos and the mechinot, which typically send boys to the army, as well as being there at Tel Shomer or the places where they actually gather to actually do programs and make the actual draft itself uh, very, very meaningful. But there's all sorts of programs in which we are directly contact, connected with and touching, if you will, uh, the soldiers in their work. And the basic premise of all of our work, there's different programs, but the common thread of all of them is that we want to keep the young men engaged in some form of active Torah study. It is our belief that even though there are religious challenges in the army and people typically point to the ones that they can see with their eyes, 
the more secular environment, the fact that it's co-ed, uh, and those can be real issues for sure. But our feeling educationally, if you will, uh, psychologically, if you will, is that those are downstream. The biggest challenge is how the soldier sees himself if he's on fire for Yiddishkeit, if he still feels passionate about his Judaism, his connection to Torah. If he does, he'll still have the challenges that you can see with your eyes if you were. There's still going to be challenges. It's not like staying at home or being in a base medrash or yeshiva. There's no question. But the success in withstanding those challenges is far, far, far higher and greater if you have that passion and that active and ongoing connection to Torah study. If a person doesn't, so then they are much more vulnerable and at risk for falling prey to the temptations that we're more typically familiar with. So all of our programming, therefore, you could say in a certain sense is preemptive or prophylactic. We're trying to keep the soldiers actively and passionately engaged in Torah study. How we do that, I can follow up if you want. We have all these different programs, but that's what we're trying uh, to do, whether it's visiting the bases, having them visit with us, Shabbos, other programming different in the army, but that's really the common thread. In addition, yes, we also have a 24-7 hotline for emotional support, things like that, for sure. But again, it, that's really uh, an outgrowth of the religious support we're giving them. Uh, the only other thing to add, which um, you can follow up if you'd like, I'm happy to talk about it as well. Uh, a, a second part of our expanded profile over the last few years is we have an entire division to help the wives and families of soldiers. It's called Eshes Chayel which of course is a clever name because Eshet Chayal, Eshet Chayal. Um, and we were really, as far as I know, the only organization on a mass scale doing this. Uh, before the war, we were accompanying and supporting somewhere between 350, 375 young women. In some cases, they're also mothers and their husbands who are away usually from a week and a half to two weeks at a time uh, in whatever service that they were doing and whatever army base, wherever they were in Israel. And we provide all sorts of religious, emotional, social, even sometimes financial support uh, for these young women and their families who have you know, not a typical way to start a young married life when your husband's in the army. Uh, so that was a separate component, but also a very important component of who we are and who we hope to continue to be going forward. Okay, so just some follow-up questions. There's so, there's so much to ask as, as, as they're up to so, so for example, uh, my son, who was in the regular army, um, called called us on Motzei um, Shabbat on Saturday night and said, "I had an incredible, incredible Shabbos. A rabbi came down, and the food was out of this world. All he could talk about was the food. The food was just he hadn't eaten. I think he's eaten better now in the army than he. And I, I won't say this. Uh, my wife is, is probably going to listen to this podcast. Her food is much better than the army." But he's been eating great food, so it was interesting because like you didn't talk about like the, the, this 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 rub coming down and you know the Torah that he taught, uh, which he did. But he was talking about the food. So he's in a, he's in a yeshiva has their yeshiva army program. How do you supplement that? Because I know that their rabbis are coming down and giving them support. Is this an additional level of support even for the yeshiva has their uh, groups? It's a, it's a great question. So just in terms of the Shabbos, um, before the war, I'm not talking about during the war, uh, where we actually, my my partner and the founder of Peretz, uh, he himself was called up a few days after Simchas Torah 
into the army rabbinate. When he was younger, he was a, a warrior, a fighter. But at this age and stage of his life, he's now in the army rabbinate in reserves, and he's been there for the last three months. And he spends almost, I'd say every other Shabbos the last three months, he's been on different army bases. But before the war, we have a Shabbos program, but it actually does not involve our staff being on a base. We have a program that exists even when we're not there. So that would not be uh, typically what we would be doing. But we do all sorts of things on Shabbos as well. But I'm certainly very happy that your son had good food. And there are the soldiers certainly during the war have been eating very well, thanks, frankly, to the generosity of both uh, Israeli citizens and uh, American Jews uh, or Jews from around the world. But in terms of your broader question, uh, it's a fantastic question. As you mentioned in your introduction, uh, I myself have a, a broad history in the Hezder world, both as a student and in the last eight, nine years as a teacher to the American students, the overseas students in the Gosh Yeshiva. So I'm quite familiar um, with the strengths of, of the Hezder world. And uh, my two older sons, who one was already out of the army, now in Miluim, and the other one who's currently in his service, third year, base Madrash age, uh, both Hezder students. I have a 12th grader now. I'm hoping he'll go to Hezder next year. So I'm a big fan of the Hezder uh, model. But the answer is, there is a gap. And it's no criticism of any of the specific Yeshivot Hezder. I'm sure some do better, some do worse, like everything in life. But overall, the Yeshivot Hezder and their dedicated Rebbeim, um, I guess if I could say it the most bluntly, they're all trying to do their best, but it's the same overworked and underpaid Rebbeim who are teaching the Talmudim in the yeshiva, who somehow have to find the time to then juggle and also once every fill in the blank, go off to an army base where they have their Talmudim and to visit a shir, do a shir and visit them. Every yeshiva that I'm familiar with does do that from time to time. But again, I say this with zero criticism of any of the yeshivas. Again, some could be doing more than they do, but for the most part, they're all stretched way too thin already. Um, that's really where the need for Tzalash came in, because even though there are organizations like the World of Hezder who do very well for the soldiers before, and hopefully also after they come back from the army, and I would add to any parents who would be asking me, I strongly recommend going to the army with Hezder. I heard from my children, as well as many other wonderful uh, soldiers, that, including literally yesterday I was sitting with uh, a student of mine who's now in the army, um, saying, I cannot imagine having done this not in Hezder, because you go as a group, you go with your friends, you have a strong nucleus of yeshiva, bachram, who are going together. That does make a huge difference. But for the most part, in terms of the actual programming and ongoing connection, support, religiously and emotionally, most of the yeshivas, or even the machinot, simply don't have the resources to do that. And that is exactly the inefficiency in the market, if I could use a business term or the gap, which her parents 11 years ago identified. And therefore that's why Salash was founded to be exactly that, to be that bridge to fill in the gap while the soldiers are in the army, whether they came from Hezder or not. But even if they came from Hezder, we provide a vital, vital role. And I think perhaps going back 10, 11 years ago, Hezder might've looked at us like curious, like who are you and why do we need you? But I could tell you for many years already, even before I joined, and certainly in the two and a half years since I've been involved, but it's way before my personal involvement, the Igud Yeshivot Hezder, that's the umbrella group of all of the Yeshivot Hezder, they love us, they know us, and part of our whole model is that we visit every Yeshivot Hezder to talk to their students before they draft. So some Yeshivot draft in March, some draft in August, 
but we have arrangements with virtually every yeshiva and machina to visit there, to speak to their students, to let them know about our programming, to make connections with them. And the yeshivot are huge fans of ours because we're partnering with them. Uh, we don't charge them, so they get our services for free, as do the chaylim. But certainly the yeshiva benefit because their students are strengthened. And then, please God, when the, yeshiva, the students finish their time in the army and want to come back to yeshiva, uh, they're in a much better position than they might otherwise be if Talash didn't exist. Let's let's move to two different, two disparate, very different groups of chayalim. Uh, again, using terminology that you know that maybe we don't want to use, but you know it's 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 what we use. Salash and number one, non-observant, quote unquote, soldiers chayalim. And uh, my oldest son was in the uh, first machzor, the, the, the first. Chetz, which was the uh, Haredi ultra-Orthodox paratroopers. And right. On the one hand, it was the first year of it, first time they did it. On the one hand, we were totally blown away by some of the things that the army did, the special kitchen. They took the whole base and turned the whole base over and the kitchen and, and a, a, lot of, a lot of incredible things. On the other hand, he had constantly would call me up with all kinds of questions. Should I do this? How do I do this? How do I do that? Etc. So non-observant soldiers in Salash and Haredi units Salash. Okay, those are two great questions, but uh, also big and complicated questions, especially your second half. So um, I would say in terms of the non-observant soldiers, uh, I would put it this way. Uh, our tagline, if you will, like if you look at our logo uh, in Hebrew underneath the big word Tzalash, the big three letters, Tzadik Lamet Shin. So our motto or our tagline is Livui Ruchani L'chayal Hadati. Religious support, spiritual support for the religious soldier. And that is an accurate description of primarily what our mission is. Our mission is um, to provide support for soldiers who are religious. You can either call that non-Kiruv, or you could call it Kiruv Krovim, uh, but it's not Kiruv with a capital Kuf or K, the way we would typically think about it, where we're going to try to be Mechazek, Mechareiv, uh, the non from uh, soldiers. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that. First of all, as I already tried to mention, even in brief, the challenges for the religious soldiers are enormous as it is. It's not like there isn't work to be done even for the religious soldiers. But specifically in terms of the non-religious soldiers typically coming from either a traditional, even a fully Chiloni background. So there's really two reasons uh, for that. Uh, number one, you know, like anything in life, you have to know your lane. And if you want to be good at something, you need to really focus on that and become experts in that. And we are the premier organization to help the religious soldiers. And this is what we have learned and what we know how to do. It's a completely different malacha to actively be trying to educate and inspire people who are coming from non-religious backgrounds, as we know outside of the army uh, context. There could be someone who's a wonderful teacher or rabbi within the religious community who would be terrible in the outreach community and vice versa. They're just different skills. Uh, but more to the point in a certain sense is that people have to understand, and I do get the question a lot, I appreciate the question, but you have to understand that the army, although it is my experience that over overwhelmingly uh, at this point, I can't, I can't speak for what was 40, 50, 60 years ago, but overwhelmingly at this point, the army is not in any officially way antagonistic to the religious soldiers. Uh, I have said before, and I still stand behind it, they're parv to positive. Again, there are isolated cases which are problematic, but overall, that's been my experience. 
kind of confirmed by what you said the army was doing for your son when he first uh, joined. They go out of their way to help religious soldiers in many cases, especially Haredim, which we can get back to. But um, even though it's part of the positive, if you will, um, it is a secular organ. <laughs> Don't make any mistake about that. And the issue of religious and secular involvement and interaction, and especially religious coercion, is hypersensitive in Israel and especially in the army. If we were to try to pivot or even expand our work to become Kiruv professionals the way we would typically traditionally associate it with, if the next time I went on an army base, you know, I pulled out my inner Chabad uh, personality and started trying to put on tefillin on soldiers or doing that kind of Kiruv, I promise you that would be the last time I or any other Tzalash member would ever be allowed on an army base. And frankly, I would understand that. That would be perceived as religious coercion, going out of our lane. No question, people would likely complain. And I don't know that we could survive such a thing. We have an incredible relationship with the highest echelons of the army, even the most secular of their leadership. They love us for two reasons. One is that we stay in our lane. And they've never received a complaint about us from anybody. We're serving people who are happy to be there. Mimela, not only are we not harming anybody, but the army benefits tremendously from our service, not only because they have soldiers who are just happy that we're there, but we have heard many times from senior, senior people in the army that after a Salash visit to an army base, the operational level of the soldiers is higher than it was. The motivation is higher than it was. That's not my agenda. My agenda is the neshama of the soldiers, but it's a very, very happy byproduct, which we are certainly happy that, that we have, that they're also not only hopefully more passionate about the Yiddishkeit after we visit, but they're more passionate about their army service. So the army thankfully loves us and we work beautifully with them, but that's because we respect the boundaries and we don't overstep them and we don't try to mikarev or kiruv, as I say, with the capital kuf, the way we might typically think of it. All of that being said, we, as any you know, passionate lovers of uh, Yiddishkeit, we're more than happy for people who have not previously known about the beauties of a Torah lifestyle to become familiar with our programs. And there are myriads of stories over the years, including recently, of soldiers wandering into our programs, joining, being connected. We have in every unit of the army, from every group or every yeshiva, we have, you know, Volunteer liaisons, rakazim as they're called in Hebrew, who are the ones who are, so to speak, the ones who are most, you know, interfacing with us and our staff to plan things. And they're, you know, the ones who we invest the most in because they are like, this, this, if you will, the student leaders, the soldier leaders who work with us. And we have numerous untold stories, innumerable stories of soft cure, if you will, and in real making real substantial religious commitments that we've seen. But it's not because we were trying to be macabre of them in the way we would typically, you know, think about that in the Orthodox outreach uh, mentality. So that was a long answer to your question, but it was a really good question and it's a very complicated uh, sugi. Again, from our perspective, we hope and we we pray and we have a lot of success at raising the overall level of religiosity, but it's dafka because we're not officially trying to. Uh, and that's an important uh, distinction. Um, I know I've been speaking for a while, but if you want me, I'm happy to also address uh, the Haredi question. That's also, that's, also huge, that's also huge and complicated. So the background uh, is that, you know, to state the obvious, uh, but it's worth stating, um, over the last decades, it, probably the most, certainly one of the most, if not the most divisive issue, you know, in the Orthodox community, certainly in Israel, is the issue of who serves in the army, should yeshiva guys go to the students, go to the army or not. 
because of that, you know, it's been my experience that you pretty much can't get to first base. You can't have a conversation with anybody. You certainly can't make any progress because people are too busy fighting about who should go to the army, let alone how to make the situation better. So one of the benefits of Salash, and this is not just for marketing, so to speak, although I think it does help us <laughs> in the marketing or branding perspective, to be honest, but it's really a sincere principled position, which is that we have zero agenda about who serves and who goes to the army. It is not at all in our issue. I have said before, I'll say again, from our perspective, the mirror could triple in size and we'd be fine. We are not out to get Haredim into the army. There are well-meaning people who do believe that that's an important thing. And there are some very well and sincere minded people who think that that's a horrible thing. That's a huge, huge debate that as far as I know, is quite ongoing in the Orthodox community. Talash has no opinion and we completely bypass that. Our agenda is to serve Anyone who's in the army who identifies as religious, getting back to our previous issue about the, the non-religious, but any religious soldier, our agenda and our mission is to help strengthen them, that their Yiddish guide should remain passionate and vibrant, specifically through a connection of Torah study. All of that being said, of course, we're familiar with Nacha Haredi, Netzach Yehuda, Chetz, all different ways of saying the same broader organization, just different parts of the army or different names. And um, we absolutely do work with them. Uh, there are some supporters who are, you know, supporters of both organizations who understand the symbiotic relationship that can exist. And we absolutely do programs for them. Sometimes something that we've done that we'll give to them. Sometimes we do things even programmatically that are joint uh, programs. Um, and we're happy to expand that as much as they're interested in having us. But those organizations like Nachal Haredi or Nate Kate, they have their own rabbis, their own staff. And, you know, I, I'm not infinite, intimately familiar with everything they do. But as far as I know, they're helping. They're doing, you know, they, they're well-meaning. Again, the, the, it's, I, you know that, uh, you know, that not everyone agrees with that position. But that, and Salash has zero position on that, that question, whether they should or should be serving. Should there be Haredi units in the army? Are the Haredi units really Haredi? Or are there also the people who are just signing up for it? Those who know what I'm talking about know, and those who don't, it's okay. But the point is, none of this has anything to do with us. We're happy to serve anybody, and it's not in our agenda or interest as an organization who does or doesn't serve. Without any prompting, without any agenda, there are a few thousand yarmulke wearers going into the Army every year. So there's a tremendous amount of work to be done. Uh, and whether more or less Haredim will join the Army now, after the war, before the war, a lot of talk in Israel, a lot of speculation. From Salash's perspective, we have no opinion, as I say. We sit back and observe. And whoever's in the army, Hashem should give us the strength and the resources. We want to help them as much as possible. Do you find um, that the needs uh, are different? Uh, again, if we break it down between uh, Salas serving the Chayal Adati. So let's say you have the, the Chayal Adati that goes in on his own. You have the Chayal Adati that goes in through Hester. You have the Chayal Adati that goes in through one of the Haredi units. Are those needs substantially different, and do you address them differently? So uh, it's a very, very complicated question. It's really almost impossible to answer in general terms because, uh, not because I'm trying to be evasive, but because so much of it is individualized. Um, but I would say, broadly speaking, the answer to your question is. Yes, a little bit. Meaning to say, I think there are mainly common challenges, which can be responded to in a common way. 
But yes, there are definitely some differences. So, but even that, if I'm going to give you a full answer, it, it, forgive me, but it just has to be nuanced. I can't give you an elevator pitch uh, or one-line answer. Meaning to say, just take the example of Hezder versus non-Hezder, um, even if we're talking about religious soldiers. So on the one hand, there are absolute differences, as I already alluded to, because if you go in with Hezder, that means, depending on the size of your yeshiva, it can be 20, 30, 40, even 50 sometimes, boys going together who are there for each other for emotional, social, and religious support just makes everything easier. There are still tremendous needs, which is what we're there for, but no question it makes things easier for them and logistically for us because we can be in touch with one or two of the, you know, our, our liaisons in that group, and then when we organize a visit to the base, you know, we know more likely we're going to not just show up, we're not just showing up and who knows who's going to, you know, be there when we get there. We already know in advance, oh, there's this huge group of 30 or 40 soldiers or more sometimes who are going to be there. It helps us logistically, but also we know that they have the support of each other. Again, they still need our help or, or you know, but it, it does absolutely does make a difference. On the other hand, the soldiers who go in on their own, um, that is can be a much objectively, in my opinion, a much more challenging religious situation. That doesn't mean you can't negotiate that successfully. I know many examples of those who have done. But I would be less than forthright if I didn't say that, in my opinion, both as a father and as a professional and as an educator, because I see this a little bit through Talmudim. So all three of my hats, if you will. Um, it is much harder and the odds of success are unfortunately lower when you don't go in. Now, why would somebody go in by on their own? All sorts of reasons for that. Sometimes they want to go to a particular elite unit, which you cannot do through Hesner. Um, other times, like, for example, my middle son, who's currently serving. So even though he's in Hesner, but he had allergies. So as a result, he wasn't able to do Kravi combat with all of his friends. He ended up getting a very important position in a kind of intelligence unit. Uh, he's actually based out of Tzvat as part of the Northern Command. And uh, he has an incredibly important and stressful and difficult job currently with the threat from Hezbollah. Um, but he is not in an official religious group or unit. Um, and I'd say, again, he's in a certain sense, you could say, physically safer uh, than his friends. But in certain ways, he's religiously more at threat because he didn't go in it with that whole group in a religious unit. There are other religious people on his base, but you can't compare. And it is absolutely more of a challenge for him. And there's, you know, obviously he's just, I'm giving you one illustration of a common phenomenon. So on the one hand, yes, it's much more difficult. And we are not as successful, to be honest with you. We are not as successful with those guys yet. Please God, with, we, keep, we keep on learning. And hopefully as our resources increase, uh, I think we need to start hiring maybe some dedicated staff members for that subgroup of soldiers, which we don't currently have as a dedicated staff member uh, or staff members to help that. But I actually think especially given what I've seen as a father in the last uh, six months, that we probably, assuming we can marshal the resources, should go in that direction because I think there really can be, there are, I should say, unique challenges to the being without versus being with uh, the broader the broader groups. Could you perhaps just share just one story, a recent story, you know, since um, Silpator, October 7th, um, involving... Um, Wise reservists, just a, a story that kind of maybe exemplifies the, the kind of work, the wonderful work that Salash is doing. Okay, well, I, first of all, I appreciate that. So um, just to give people a sense of the, the numbers, um, again, if, my, if I'm not mistaken, there were about 200,000 people in the standing army, Sadir, 
before Simchas Torah. And then the largest call up in history, about 300,000 were called up uh, in those days right after Simchas Torah. Uh, obviously from all sorts of backgrounds, but that included many, many, many uh, religious soldiers. So if before the war, we were actively connected with about 350, let's say, women, young women and their husbands who were soldiers and helping them, uh, in the days right after Simchas Torah, we launched you know, WhatsApp groups and we advertised you know, in all sorts of places to let people know that we were going to be having programming and support for the wives of reservists. And in one day, our numbers shot up to about 3,800 women. It was incredible and, to be perfectly blunt, overwhelming. <laughs> no one's prepared for growth like that that fast. Uh, we simply we were overwhelmed. Um, so the need, and that's not everybody. Not every wife of a religious reservist, you know, is signed up. I'm sure there are even more that we could be helping. So what are we doing for them? So we've been doing a number of things. Um, from the beginning, we have been offering nightly, and now it's bi-weekly. In the beginning, it was every night, shurim over Zoom with leading rabbis and rebbitzins from the community that these soldiers come from and their wives are familiar with these names. So they would be to give them chizuk. That was every night for a while, and now it's still occurs weekly and bi-weekly. In addition to that, we um, offer all sorts of gift packages and all sorts of things, which perhaps when you think about life and death and other such things that everyone's going through, could sound superficial or silly, beauty products, chocolates, towels, etc. But I can tell you it's not super, I mean, inherently it's superficial. Yes, we all know that, but it means a lot to people that you thought of them, that you cared about them, that you gave them permission to, so to speak, think about or take care of themselves. You know, these women are so worried for obvious reasons about their husbands, their single parenting in most of the cases that we're talking about. Um, the last person they've been thinking about is themselves. And to actually care about them and give them permission to care even a little bit about themselves uh, has been incredibly rewarding. And we've seen just the outpouring of appreciation from them and even over things like, like that. More recently, we have expanded our programming to include now at least once a week, but there have been weeks we've done it two or three, even four times a week, big dinners or barbecues for wives of soldiers. People are familiar with the barbecues on army basis for soldiers themselves. I myself and Salash do them all the time. I was at one last night. I have another one tonight. I don't go to them every night, but we do a lot of those. But what I don't think anyone else is doing, this is brand new, is the type of barbecue for the wives and children, not on an army base, in Herzliya, in Renana, in Kfarsaba, and other cities where you have lots of uh, central location, and then we could have sometimes 40 or 50 wives and or their children, delicious food, we bring bouncy things and all sorts of fun activities for the kids, including gifts and stuff, you know, that we give out to the wives, to be mechaz like them, it's tremendous. And I will add one more thing, which is coming up, which is for Tubashvat. We are doing a major event in Yerushalayim. We are hoping to have at least 1,500 women in which we are having leading religious women entertainers, speakers, including Rabbani Yemima Mizrahi, all for the wives of soldiers who are currently serving. So there are many, many different things that we are doing for them. And Mizrat uh, Hashem, as long as there is a need, we will continue to serve them and provide help to them. Okay. In, in conclusion... There's obviously a perception now of unity, government, achdut, unity across the country, and over, 
over overwhelming amounts, uh, as you had mentioned before, of people contributing, whether it's their time, their resources here in Israel, and obviously from from outside of Israel and in the diaspora. From, from, from your perspective, having been involved in Salash over these years, do, do you believe that the army, the IDF, is, is the vehicle for active in this country, or at least for most of the country? You know, no one asked me that question before, I don't think. That's a really uh, interesting question. I have been asked or thought about it a lot, honestly. Um, you know, there's tremendous achdus at the moment, uh, as you said. You know, what will be after the war, whenever the after comes? So my usual response is, I'm not a Navi. I'm not even sure I'm a Chacham. I don't know. I pray like everyone that some vestige of it lasts. I try not to be naive, but I also don't want to be cynical. But you're asking a slightly different question which is whatever role, whatever increased octus there can be going forward, uh, can the army be a vehicle for that? Um, whether it will be or not, I will fall back on my inability to prognosticate. But do I think it can be? I think the answer is overwhelmingly yes. The army already serves an outsized um, place in Israeli broad secular culture. It is the great institution in the entire country, um, which obviously, certainly outside of the Haredi community, the overwhelming majority of people, and I say that again, that, that, that's without being judgmental, just as a fact, uh, the overwhelming population, other than the Haredi community, serve. So in that sense, it is a already uh, a common ground. On the other hand, it's also been divisive over the years, uh, in general society, and obviously in the religious community. So I think that there can be tremendous potential uh, first of all, because something that, you know, I, I never had the privilege to serve, but based on my just knowledge, um, whether it's through fiction uh, growing up in the in, in growing up in America and being curious about reading books or movies about American army uh, or, you know, now in Israel, both as my work professionally, as well as with my children, the bonding that takes place between soldiers is in unbelievable. There is probably nothing, no other experience that can bond two people together than going through the experiences that soldiers go through uh, together. So Mimela, there's a social bond. If there could be some higher purpose, even with a very soft hand and a deft touch, I think that natural bond of brothers, the band of brothers, if you will, I think that could further serve this. I'll just give you one illustration, really, as I say, it's Bashir, you're the first person I think who ever asked me that question, but I can illustrate this point with something that literally happened to me last night. I mentioned that I was at a barbecue uh, last night, um, and the particular barbecue happened in a relatively small base uh, in the Shomron. Um, about 100 soldiers are on that base. At any one time, 30 were doing patrols or arrests, and we made sure to get them food too. But there were about 70 who were on the base while we were there. I would say the base, this is somewhat typical, but maybe even more than usual uh, in the war, I would say at least 80 to 85% were not religious not wearing a kippot, no outward sign of religiosity. Although I will say there was at least one who had tzitzis flying, even though he didn't wear a yarmulke. But uh, believe that aside, there were people, you know, I don't want to be, let's not, this is not naive, we're not, I'm being totally honest and candid with you. There's not, it wasn't like everyone there was putting on tefillin every day, not even close. The overwhelming majority were not religious. And I talked, of course, to all of them. And I think what we did was a huge Kiddush Hashem and Machazik, all of them, in a kind of soft Kirib way. We didn't come to be makar of them. We came to give them food and say thank you. But of course, we also bring music and a DJ and we sing and dance. 
And the dancing is all, you know, Anachnu Ma'aminim B'nei Ma'aminim and other such religious songs. And the guys without the yarmulkes know the words and they're singing at the top of their lungs, hugging me and hugging my partner of parrots. I, I, there's a lot of soft kirib going on in those events, even though that's not what not the goal, as I've said. But one of the soldiers who I was talking to, who is Dati, and it so happens, <clears throat> he's in his late 30s, and coincidentally, even though he's a total Israeli, he lives in Beit Shemesh. We're used to thinking that only Americans live in Beit Shemesh or Mapei Shemesh. He lives in Beit Shemesh. He actually lives in an American neighborhood. He said, I said, where do you live? He said he lives in Scheinfeld. Anyway, I said, apparently I met the one Israeli who lives in Scheinfeld. Anyway, uh, in all seriousness, um, I asked him, you know, how much longer does he think he needs to serve? Uh, he doesn't know, obviously, during the war, but usually you get out of Miluim when you're 40. So he said, well, officially two more years. He said, but, you know, I might volunteer to stay longer, which a person can. I said, are you sure you would want to do that? He said, yeah, I think so. You know, it's meaningful. It's good. I said, I know, but you're, you, you have a family. And he said, I have two families. That's a, again, I'm, I'm translating it to English. But that's exactly how he answered me. He was incredibly powerful. That's what he told me. I have two families. Now, I don't know how his wife would feel if he heard, she heard that. But I'm telling you what exactly he told me without blinking. He didn't know I was going to be sharing this on a podcast. It was just a conversation between two people who love each other as Jews um, at a barbecue at 11 o'clock at night last night in the Shomron. So there is a tremendous power. He says, I've been with these people in Miluim for 15 years already. Like, there's these, these are my best friends in the world. They're my family. So there is that power. If it can be elevated, I think it can be the source of a tremendous achdos. And I think you are right. Uh, across denominations, including within the Haredi world, I'm again, I'm speaking only anecdotally, but I have seen far more positivity, warmth, pride, identification with the Chayalim in the Haredi world in the last three months than I had seen, you know, in the 14 years that I lived in Israel before that. Um, and I'd like to think, again, I'm not a prophet, uh, but I'd like to think, and I want to be optimistic, that at least to some extent, if not 100%, Halavai 100%, but even if not, to a great extent, that will last even after. And if we can start seeing the army as a vehicle for just Jews protecting other Jews, Jews sacrificing to help other Jews and to help the state of Israel, without any other social engineering agenda, if we just see that for what it is, which is so selfless and so wonderful, how could we not help but all support them, whether we serve or not, but help support them, love them, daven for them, and take equal part, you know, equal pride in them. And if we had that as something that we all, despite all of our other differences, which aren't going away, but if we had that as something that we all cared for and bonded over together, how could that not help on some way or another create greater achdos across the board. So I'd like to think so. I believe it's possible. And whatever little bit I can do personally or professionally to help move that ball forward, I absolutely would do and will do. And I certainly uh, add my tefillos to help all the tefillos of all the other uh, well-meaning people that we can find a way, you know, once this craziness ends, to really move forward in a positive and more unified way. The only response I can say is amen. It, it, it should happen. Um, it should be a nevua. Uh, okay. Your thoughts should be in the Vua, and um, you should continue to go from Chayel to Chayel, from strength to strength, and um, urge all our listeners and viewers to um, explore the Talash organization, get to know it, and uh, hopefully get involved and see how they can help as well. And uh, Rabbi Gottlieb, thank you so much for your, your thoughts today. We appreciate it very much. 
I thank you for the opportunity. If someone does want to learn more, the website is salash.org, T-Z-A-L-A-S-H.org. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can find ways to reach me and contact me on the website as well. Wonderful. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.